Emmanuel, God with us. What does that mean? Notice where we left off last time, verse 21. And this is really the Christmas message. You can't have the Christmas message until you talk about sins. And you can't talk about sins without talking about salvation. Because the root issue of sin is in me. The root issue of salvation is in Jesus Christ. So in verse 21, notice what the text says. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We have not just a sin problem, we have a sins plural problem that we need to be saved from. There's nothing that you and I can do to save ourselves. Sin is like the class bully. When I was in Stutchbury and Thompson right across the street, we didn't even know what a bully was, but we had them. And bullies were always chasing us around. But sin is like the class bully. Sin will chase you down. And some of you are trying to run from sin. Can I tell you, you can't outrun sin because sin has its root in you. And sin has its root in me. David said in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. This is how we came out, in sin. So when we hear the Christmas message that Jesus came to save us from our sins, we don't try to outrun sin because sin will outrun us. We run to, not away from, we run to Jesus who has conquered sin, hell, death, and the grave, and we put our lives in line with a Savior who has done everything to defeat sin. He is the victor. So you can't have victory unless you know the one who is the victorious warrior, and that is Jesus because he came to save us from our sins. So if you say, I'm struggling with this one sin in my life today, I'm really struggling and it keeps getting me. I'm in December, it's been getting me January, February, March, April. Listen, if you ever think you can conquer that sin, can I tell you something else? There's another sin that will get you. When you feel like you try to conquer something in your flesh, you never really conquer it. You have to, victory is not you overcoming sin. Victory is Jesus overcoming you and overcoming me because he overcame sin. So you never focus on the sin, you always focus on the Savior. Jesus came to save us from our sins. So the focus is always on Him, never the sin. Well, I just gotta, I keep struggling with this sin. Get your eyes off the sin and get it on the Savior who has the power to allow you not to go the direction that your flesh wants to go. It's called surrender. It's called yielding to Him. It's called walking in the Spirit. So we talk about sin We always think sin's up on a mountain. You probably heard this story. In San Francisco, Mount Davidson is the highest mountain in San Francisco. And several years ago, way back, I think it was the U.S. Court, I don't know if it, is it Court of Appeals or Courts of Appeal? Yes. Um, There was a hundred foot cross on Mount Davidson in San Francisco. And the court deemed that it was illegal to have that cross on Mount Davidson in San Francisco. So they made a judgment call that that cross could no longer stand on government ground because the government ground that it was standing on, people that pay taxpayers' money were mowing and taking care of the grounds that had the cross on it. So they decided that they would, whether this is right or wrong, their reading of the Constitution, they decided that they would be embracing Christianity by allowing taxpayer money to take care of the grounds and the cross, so they decided to remove the cross. Now, you would say, is that sinful? 
No, they said it's illegal, but it's not sinful to have a cross on Mount Davidson. But what you and I would know, because we're born into sin, is that the problem is not on the mountain of San Francisco. The problem is in the streets of San Francisco. That's where sin resides. It resides in the people of San Francisco. And guess what? It resides in the people of Houston, Texas. It resides in everybody because we are born into sin. So Jesus came to save us, verse 21 says, from our sins. And so the idea is this, that we need a savior because we have a sin problem. Sin has its root in me. I'm born that way. Salvation has its root in Jesus. So I must cross over from sin to the savior. And when I cross over from my sin nature and I trust Jesus for his death and payment on the cross, then I no longer have to live in sin because I've moved from a life of darkness into the light of his marvelous life and I don't have to live in the way that I used to be because the Bible says old things have passed away and everything has become new. Now, most of us like to blame the devil on everything. Let me tell you what, the devil is not your problem. He's been defeated on Calvary. Do you agree? Jesus did all that he needed to do to secure our victory in him. The greatest problem that you and I will ever face is the person that we look at in the mirror on Monday morning. It's our flesh. It's whether we're going to yield to God and his spirit and his victory, or we're going to yield to our flesh and try to do things in our own talent and our own strength. And that's what Jesus came for. Notice verse 21. He came to save people from their sins. That's what verse 21 says. Let me see if I can explain it like this. Within each one of us, we have a pilot light that's lit. It comes lit with sin. So we have a pilot light. I remember one time in my grandmother's basement, when we would visit her house, uh, we would always have to go in and turn on the water and turn on the lights and, and always check if the pilot light was lit. Well, one time I remember that the pilot light wasn't lit and we turned the gas on. Do you know that that's a problem? <laughs> you can go somewhere real fast. So I remember, uh, and I think this is when we were actually living there, the pilot light went out. So I knew there was a pilot light that was supposed to be lit. You're not supposed to smell gas. Turn off the gas. Someone came and lit the pilot light, but here's what happened. When the pilot light is lit and you put the gas that runs over the pilot light, poof, it goes in the direction of that pilot light in the direction of that gas. And when I think about sin, that's the way sin is. Let's say that you have the sin of envy or greed. What happens is you're already born with a sin nature and you already have a proclivity to sin and to move towards sin. Your your, your mama didn't make you sin. You were conceived in sin from her. Okay, you're born into sin and I'm born into sin. So we have an inclination. We have a bending. We have a twist towards sin. So what happens because the pilot light is lit in each one of our lives, all it takes is the right gases to go over that pilot light and poof, we see the results of sin. We live in an angry and violent world, do we not? When the right gases and the right opportunity is presented over any one of our pilot lights, any one of us can do anything that we said we would never do. So you've got to understand the power of sin. Sin is a bully, but we have a Savior who's given us the victory over sin, so we must understand that he wants a relationship with us, and that's why Jesus came. He came to save us, verse 21, from our sins. Now look at verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. So let's back up into Isaiah. Take a left, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. So Isaiah 7, 14 is a prophecy. Now listen carefully. 
God's promises are paced by God himself. The promises of God are paced by him. He controls the time element of the promises. When we walk by faith now, and they walked by faith in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to prophecies being fulfilled. Well, the prophecy was being revealed in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Look at what the text says, and this ties into Matthew. It's what Matthew's talking about. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then when you go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, it's like verse 22, it says, so all this was done. That's like a red light's flashing. That's like when you go by Krispy Kreme and you see the hot donuts now sign flashing. It means stop. It means pay attention. It means the icing is glazing over the donuts as they come down the conveyor. You should pay attention to that. So Matthew says, so all this was done, red lights flashing, hot donuts now, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying. So the promises of God are paced by God. There was a revelation that God gave in the Old Testament. The fulfillment of that revelation by the pace of God, the control of the time element that he controls and has his hand on, was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1. So we have the revelation and then the fulfillment of the revelation. So when God gives us a revelation like it's time for a new pastor. The revelation is, Brother John has served faithfully for 53 years. What are we going to do because of the revelation of his faithful ministry as pastor and the fulfillment of the revelation, which means that there's a new pastor that's going to come on the scene? What do we do between the revealing and the fulfillment of the revealing of a new pastor? I'll tell you what we do. We wait in faith and we trust God. That's what we do. We wait in faith because faith, uh, faith is what happens in the meantime between the revealing of a revelation and the fulfillment of that revelation. And so in Matthew chapter 1 verse 22, we have the promises of God and the pace of God. And then we have the fulfillment of that revelation in Matthew. So we have faith, we have belief, and then we hook our faith and our belief into hope and hope pulls us into the future. So people say, well, who's going to be the next pastor? It really doesn't matter when you trust God because there's something on the journey that we need to learn as a congregation and there's some grieving that we need to go through and there's also preparation on the other end for whoever God has. So we will continue to teach the word from this platform. We will continue to honor the Lord. Nothing is going to change. We're going to continue to march forward and actually the greatest days of Sagemont could be during a transition time as we yield before God, as we trust God, as we, he has revealed his will to us and his will for us is that we're going to continue to march forward. So verse 22, which leads us to verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. We spent a lot of time on that last week, but let me see if I can share with you about the incarnation of Christ, the Virgin Mary. So Christ was going to come forth through Mary. Let's make an application. Christ and his life in you by faith wants to come forth through your life. You know, it was obvious that Mary was pregnant. I don't know how long she was in Matthew, but it says that it became evident. It became visible. Listen, it should be visible to people that Christ is coming forth through our life, shouldn't it? Christ coming forth through our life 
is the visibility of the invisible God, which as we yield to him and as we trust him, Christ wants to come forth through our life in service, in love, in giving, in truth, in honor. It's not about what you can produce through your life. It's about what he can produce through your life as you and I release the mature one in our lives, which is Christ. That's what Matthew's saying here. Christ coming forth through a virgin. All right. So this version, the preservation and the reservation that was made by God himself in the womb of Mary is coming forth with a child so you can make the connection in our life when we trust Jesus as our Savior that we should be able to experience the life of Christ in us and through us. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. Look at the text. Bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Let's take God by himself, the word with, standalone, and us. Let's take God with us. Let's break that out and let's see what Emmanuel, God with us, really means. So who is God? Well, first of all, God is spirit. God is spirit. He is infinite. He's eternal. He's unchangeable in his being, in his wisdom, in his power, in his holiness, in his justice, in his goodness, and in his truth. So God is spirit, and he, that makes him totally unlimited. He has no limits on him whatsoever. Eternal means he was here before you got here. I want to say that again. He was here first, and he's never going away. That's a pretty good word for Sagemont Church. God was here first, not John Morgan. God himself was here. This is his church. And God will never, ever go away. That should encourage us. That should give us confidence. You pray for the search team. But God is with us. He is totally unlimited. When we say Emmanuel, God, we have to understand that he is infinite. He is eternal. He is self-existent. He needs no one to prop him up because he props and holds up all things in him. He is God. So we can trust a God like that. So he is unchangeable. He's never moody. Let me say it again. He's never moody or erratic. Have you run into some moody people in Walmart or Target or wherever it is that you shop? I'm going old school, man. I, saw, I found myself in Pally Royal. I said, Lord have mercy. Has it come to this? Yes, because they give discounts for 55 and under, if you didn't know. So my point is this. God is never moody. He's never uh, erratic. God is who he is, and God is spirit. He has all wisdom. Listen carefully. He's smarter than all of us together in this room. He is smarter. He has all wisdom in him. He has all power in him. Our God will never tire. Some of you are tired. You're weary. You're frustrated. You're broken. You're hurt. But I'm going to tell you, God never runs out of strength. He's got enough strength to go around to everybody in this room and the whole world that would just submit to him. That's who God is. When we say God with us, God is spirit. He's eternal. He is justice, which means his thoughts and his way are free of sneakiness. There's some sneaky people in the church. Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. But God's not sneaky. He's a God of justice. And he's a God of goodness because all goodness resides in him. So there's nothing to worry about. Our God is spirit. He's infinite. He's eternal. He's unchangeable. If you go to Genesis chapter 1, let me tell you about God who is spirit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, before the beginning began to begin, he was. He was. God didn't start up 
before the beginning. He was the startup. He pre-exists. He was there before time began. So when he creates something out of nothing, he was already there. He was already in charge. He was pre-existent. So we would say that God created the heavens and the earth. So that's who he is. He is spirit. He created the heavens and the earth. And God speaks from the very beginning of time. That's who he is. He's always a God that speaks. Do you remember he said, let there be light. You know what light did? Light came. He didn't have to have a conversation over here with light and say, you know, when I call you, I want you to come to me. When I call you, I'm going to give you the same pay as I called night because I'll give you 12 bucks a day too if you'll, if you'll come when night comes, if you'll just do the same thing. He didn't have to have a sidebar with light. When God said, let there be light, there was light because God speaks everything into existence. He's that powerful. And then he, you remember, he's a God of order and he's a God of distinction. This is a kingdom principle of who God is. So he's a God of order and he's a God of distinction. He said, let there be light. And then he separated the light from the darkness. Then he separated the, he's a God of order. He separated the firmament from the, from the waters, the heavens from the waters. And then he said, I'm going to separate a God of order. I'm going to separate the land from the sea. Do you see who God is? He's totally unchangeable. He's totally, everything resides in him. In him is everything. In the beginning, God, before the beginning began to begin, he was. He will always be here for us. God loves you with an everlasting love. He is spirit. He has a plan for your life. He has a love for your heart. And he wants you to know him personally through his son, Jesus Christ. He speaks truth to us. And so when God says... Jesus, who is also God, God is God and Jesus is God. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me, you can't mix Jesus among the truths of the world because if you mix Jesus among the truths of the world, you've just denied who he is and he's God. So you want to know who Emmanuel is? It's God first and foremost. Think about it, God. David Platt shares the best illustration he was talking with a Hindu leader and a Muslim leader one time. And they were talking about how there were so many ways to God that we're all going to get to the top of the mountain one day because God's pictured at the top. And there are many paths that lead up to the mountain, you know, a mountain path over here and one over here. And David Platt said, yeah, so what you're saying with your illustration is that my path is one way and your path is another way. And then David Platt said, y'all believe that, right? And they said, oh yeah, we believe that. Yeah, Jesus is just one of those paths. He said, let me tell you something about Jesus. You don't have to go up the mountain to get to him. He came down from the mountain to get to us. That's who God is. God, that's the incarnation of Christ. That's Emmanuel, God with us. We don't reach up to God to try to gain success or favor or love from him. We bow before him because he came down and he became one of us. That's what the Bible says. He became one of us. He knows you way better than you know yourself. And some of you say, I really know myself well. No, you don't. He knows you better than you know you. So I can trust a God like that. He knows you in so many ways. In fact, Jesus was tempted in every way without sin. So he knows every way. He knows your suffering. He knows your hurt today. He knows your difficulties. And he knows you. And he knows everything about you. And watch this. And he still loves you. In spite of you. In spite of me. That's who God is. Look at the text, verse 23. Who is God? He's spirit. That's what's beautiful about God. Now let's look at the word with. Second, it says God is with us. What that means is 
that if he's with me, then he must have done something in his son, Jesus Christ, to bring me from not being on his team to being on his team. So if God is with me, he's not against me. I was amazed this week as we had the visitation for Lieutenant Sergeant uh, Christopher Brewster, and there were so many men and women who serve our country and our city so well. For three hours, they were coming down this aisle, paying respects in honor to uh, Sergeant Christopher Brewster and his life and his mission and his ministry and how God used him. And I was amazed at the witness of the officers because I looked out in that lobby and there were officers from New York who were saluting. There were officers from Chicago who were writing checks to the family because of the brotherhood of the police force. In fact, Andrea Parker came up to me, and I was working with Lieutenant Wilkie, who was kind of in charge of the whole event, and she said, there's some officers here from Chicago who want to give a gift to the family. How do we do that? I said, I have no idea, but I know the one who does. And I went to Lieutenant Wilkie, and she went over to the place where the funeral director was, and they were writing out checks. There's something about the witness of police officers. It's a band of brothers and sisters together that feel united for a common cause to protect you and I as I'm preaching right now. There are people that are protecting us. But let me tell you something. When it says Emmanuel, God with us, do you understand the witness of God? God is with me. God is with you. Think about that. The witness of God. When God is with me, It means that I have trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, and he is with me. But not only is God in me, Christ is in me. Christ is in me, and you might say, Christ in you? And I might say, Christ in you? Yeah, Christ in you, Christ in me, God in you, God in me, Emmanuel, God with us. God is not just with me, God is with you. So when you think about the army that we have, we've got this band of brothers with our law enforcement officers, but when you think about the unity that the Spirit can produce in our lives, when God is with us, there is no force in hell that can stop a marching army like we have because the unity comes from you and I realizing that God is with us by association and he will never, ever, ever leave us. We could learn something from the police officers. Sometimes in churches, they get disunified. Think about that. Christ in us, who's the greatest unifier of all, and then people want to sow discord and be disunifiers? No, sir. No, ma'am. Not here. Because Christ is all in all, and God is in me, and God is in you. So the witness of God is that he'll never leave me alone. He will never leave us by ourselves. We are a band of brothers and sisters together. So whoever the pastor is, welcome on board, pastor, because we have not been left alone in this interim time. In fact, some of the greatest ministry can happen in a transition time if we will just yield our hearts to him. God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Notice the last word, us. Not just me, but the witness of God. He's with us. Galatians 2.20 says this. Paul said, I have been crucified with, same preposition, with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me 
and gave himself for me. But Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. So that means that 2,000 years ago, when Jesus died on the cross, I was crucified with him in that moment. You say there's no way. I wasn't even born. Yes, there is. Let me show you why. Because when I put my faith in Jesus as a seven-year-old boy, God cast me up on the cross with Jesus. I am crucified with Jesus. So Jesus' one-time payment on the cross, I am crucified with him. So when Jesus died, I died. I died to my sin. I died to myself in order that I might experience the exchange life so that I could have Emmanuel, God, with me and with us forever and forever and forever. There's power in the preposition with. It's God with us. There's nothing that you can face today. Or nothing that you have faith that God is not with you. The question is, how is God who is with you going to be released into your life as a servant to other people? Emmanuel, God with us. He's not just with important people. He's with us. He's not just with the smart people. He's with us. Think about that. With all of his heart, he has given the totality of who he is over to you in Jesus Christ. So if sin is the class bully, and it is, and the pilot light is lit in all of our lives, when I trust Christ as my Savior, God is with me in Christ, in my body, in my spirit, in my soul, and now I have victory over the devil, and I have victory over anything in this life, not because of who I am, but because who he is in me. Emmanuel, God with us together. Sagemont, our, our future is super duper bright around here. It's super duper bright. Not because, oh, the next pastor is going to make it bright or the former pastor made it bright. No, God makes all days bright. That's who he is. He just uses us. Just broken people, vessels like you and me, people that buy bread and milk at the same store who struggle with our flesh. God is with me if I bow before him. So God, we've talked about God with us. He's with us. And notice what happened in verse 24. This is huge. Then Joseph being aroused from his sleep, uh, being awakened from his sleep. The idea of the word in the original language is to, have you ever had a dream where you were falling? <laughs> like last night? And you know how when you have a dream where you're falling or you're trying to run away from somebody and you can't get away, you know how you, you, just, you just wake up? That's what this word means. And Joseph, aroused in his sleep, he just woke up. What did Joseph wake up to? He woke up to the truth that he had to let go of his dreams and hold on to God's dreams. Sometimes you got to let go of what God has already let go of. You can't hold on to your dreams and your visions. The whole point of that Matthew story and the birth story is, is Joseph had it in his head, but could he really move it from his head to his heart? But verse 24 says he moved it from his head to his heart. Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. You know what that's called? Obedience. If you're taking notes, write this down. You'll never have a ministry that ever involves other people until you have a message of doing what God has told you to do. You'll never have a ministry that involves others until you're willing to do what God tells you to do. And Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. So think about that. It was obedience. Now, many of us are waiting on God to speak about what he has not done in our lives. And God is waiting on us to do what he's already spoken to us to do. 
Oh, but I want to know what God hasn't done. Why would you want to know that? Revelation and obedience are like parallel lines. When God reveals himself to you and to me, we respond in obedience. He gives us just enough light to obey him in salvation. The call to salvation is just enough light to respond and say yes to him. And then God gives us just enough light to follow through in obedience to the Lord in baptism. And then he gives us just enough light to follow the next step. If God shines a light from Houston to San Antonio today, you don't make it in one shot. You make it about 15 feet at the time if both of your headlights are lined up like they should be. You know, you can try to get from Houston to San Antonio and you can say in one big shot and one big light, it'll never happen. You know how you get from Houston to San Antonio? You go 15 feet at time as far as your headlights will give you light. You obey this part and you go this far and then God says, okay, now I'm going to give you enough light to go this far. Obedience and revelation are like parallel lines. Why would God reveal his will to you today if he's already revealed his will to you last year and you still haven't obeyed his will for last year? He has no responsibility to reveal his will to you until you go back to the point where God has told you to do something and you haven't done it. God never blesses disobedience. He only blesses obedience. I can think in my own life, times when I felt like I was stuck. I said, God, I just feel like I'm stuck. God said, go back and obey me where I told you to obey me. And when you obey me here, Freeman, I gave you enough light back here to obey me here, and I will give you enough light once you obey me here to obey me in the future. But I have no obligation to reveal to you more when you haven't responded to what I've already told you. Are you here this morning and maybe God has told you what to do? Maybe you're here this morning and you're living in a broken relationship with somebody and God's told you to make it right. And you know what your excuse is? I'll wait till they come to me. Can I tell you something? The Bible says you're to go to them. Leave your gift at the altar. Don't put anything in those uh, receptacles and go make it right with your brother. Some of you are estranged from a relationship, from a family member or a friend. And bitterness is eating your lunch. And you're saying, God, I just want to know what your will is for 2020. I want to make this great resolution. We don't need any resolutions. We need revelation. Resolutions are from man. Revelation is from God. Revelation comes from God's word, not from man's stuff. And so you and I need to come to the point today and I need to ask myself and you need to ask yourself, is there a point in my life where God revealed his will to me and I have said no to that will? This would be a good day not to worry about what God's going to do in your life in the future, but go back and respond by faith and trust him for obedience in this moment. Make it right. Go and make things right with somebody. Do what God tells you to do. If God is calling you unto salvation, respond to him today. Receive the free gift of salvation and understand Jesus has paid it all. If you need to be obedient in baptism, do that. Respond to the revelation of the light in him. And if you are in bondage, I'm going to get real personal here. If you're in bondage to someone years and years and years and years ago, and you can't make it right with them because they're six feet under the ground. Listen carefully. Some of you are still in bondage to people who aren't even here anymore. And God says, would you release that bitterness? Because a root of bitterness will defile many people and it's defiling you. 
God says, repent, turn to me, trust me. I have a plan. I want to reveal your will. I want to reveal my will to your life. And Joseph, verse 24, Joseph being aroused from his sleep, he did, he obeyed, he responded. He wasn't a hearer of the word. He was a doer of the word. And he took his wife and did not know her, verse 25, till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. What is it that you need to do? You can be at peace today. This could be the first day of the rest of your life. And if you do know the Lord as your Savior, make it right with people that you can. Make it right. Surrender in humility and grace. You may say, I'm right. They are wrong and I am right. Let me tell you something. That's not what God said to us. He, didn't. he just took our, care of our sin when we were doubly wrong, triply wrong. So in humility, we go and say, hey, listen, I want to do what God's told me to do a year ago or two years ago. There may be someone in this auditorium right now. I was 18 years old when God called me into the ministry. He spoke directly to my heart. I was so scared, so nervous. I didn't know what to do. I was at a camp and I left camp. When campers leave, how about that, counselors? What do you do then? I just slid off into the woods. We lost Freeman. Yeah, but you know what? But I spent time with Jesus, and when I came back to camp, I repented. But I said, I'm going with God. I don't care what anybody else says to me or about me. My security is in him. It's that way for you today. What is it that God is telling you you need to respond to?